Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Our guest for today's episode is Christy McHenry, the Director of Risk Management at Suffolk Construction. Christy's focus for the past 10 years has been developing solutions for construction risk. This includes becoming a subject matter expert in areas such as building risk insurance, subcontractor default insurance, and contractor controlled insurance programs. She is very passionate about educating her contractors and assisting them in managing their risk. Today on Brick by Brick, we'll be talking about the subcontractor experience and how Christy thinks it's a critical element of the entire puzzle. Join me. So how did you end up in your current role and what was your journey to get there? So long journey. I, like many people in insurance, kind of fell into it. So when I was very young, freshly out of high school, looking for a job, trying to figure out what I was going to do, didn't actually go to college right out of high school. So I landed at an insurance company because my sister had worked there. And I thought, well, I'll give this a try. It ended up being a, a really good start. And so at that point, I was on the insurance company side. I spent a few years on the insurance company side, just progressing through and ended up then spending several years on the broker side. And then about 10 years ago, when I was on the broker side, I had the opportunity to pick up the account and work with Suffolk Construction. And at that point in my career, I had spent a lot of time working on construction-based accounts. So I had a good familiarity with construction and with insurance relative to construction and was always very fascinated by it got really deep working with Suffolk and gaining some understanding. And I got to a point in my career where I thought, I want to continue learning. And I felt like I'd learned everything I could on the broker side. And I wanted that opportunity to learn something more. And so an opportunity came up with Suffolk and made the leap both physically and professionally. I moved from the Midwest over into the Northeast, which was a huge jump for myself and my family, but moved over on to the contractor side primarily because one, I wanted to learn and I really wanted to see something go from beginning to end. When I was on the broker side, I would put the insurance in place, but I never really got to see how everything started and how it finished. And so I found that really fascinating to be much more a part of what's being built and the finished product. So that's really kind of how I ended up where I'm at now. So you were first on the insurance side, which is the placing of coverage. And then you were on broker side, which is sort of the middle liaison. And then you went in-house. I, my background's in advertising, so similar kind of trajectory. When you think about risk management in a organization, and that's your job is risk management... What does that mean to you? It's interesting. And we talk a lot about it within the company. It's much more holistic than just the insurance, right? Risk is such a bigger conversation. It's the financials of the job. It's safety. It's the quality control that goes into the building. It's the management over the subcontractors. So it's really not as simple as just the insurance policies that we buy to protect Suffolk from the risk that we're exposed to. 
it's just a much bigger topic and it touches various things. And, and I'm not 100% responsible for all of those areas, but everything that I do has some collaboration effect in all of those different areas and just little tentacles throughout. And I think that, again, is part of why it's so fascinating because you could never sit here today and say, I know everything. It's a constant learning process. There's always something new and something different. That seems to be a theme in a lot of these interviews where risk management is really a partnership between the internals of an organization and all of the different elements that make it work and the outside factors that are hitting the organization that maybe you weren't even aware about two years ago or they didn't exist two years ago or 10 years ago or however long that that path exists. What kind of person from an attribute or characteristic uh, perspective is a good fit if you meet someone out on the street or at a coffee shop? You're like, you have the makings for a risk manager. What are some of those attributes that you look for? So I think that first and foremost, you have to be somebody that's very curious, right? And you probably have to be a little bit, I don't want to say cynical, but cautious. I get accused a lot <laughs> when I'm out with my husband, we're out someplace and I'll see something that to me is just crazy and I'll bring it up and how could they be doing that? And he just wants me like, take your hat off, be quiet, sit <laughs> yeah. down, don't be so concerned. I do think that you have to be team oriented. You have to want to be a part of a team and you have to be able to dig into various facets. I pretend to be a lawyer at times. So you have to be able to read contracts and really kind of understand what that contract is saying. You have to be able to communicate. There's presentation skills that are involved in being a risk manager. And there's a lot of education. I find myself many times being a teacher and it's whether I'm teaching my team or whether I am teaching the project teams. I spend a lot of time doing educational delivery to the project teams. I don't need them to be insurance experts, but I need them to understand what creates some risk on their job and when they need to raise their hand and say, hey, I need help here. I really just think it's very much, it's service-oriented, it's willing to teach, willing to share, willing to learn, and really just being curious about all facets of how something functions and what's associated with the dangers or the benefits, the costs, the, the cost-benefit analysis that goes with whatever you're building, constructing. When you're thinking about that education piece and in both your internal project teams and your contractors, the goal is to educate them to a point where they understand the risks they're taking on in that. And not to always mitigate the risk, but just to bring their awareness to a level. Because I imagine that a lot of different elements can go into where you might not even know if you're on a project team that you're creating a potential risk for something to occur or that there is a potential for liability to occur against the insurance. Insurance is a thing that most people want to think about, get, and then not think about and go about their lives. How do you incorporate that into your internal staff's day-to-day? -day. How do you make sure that that information is sticking and that there are processes around that? What are some of your go-to methods? Well, I think it's important to remember that insurance is a tool. It's a bit of a blanket, but insurance is not going to cover 
everything, right? So you really need to have a good understanding of what the risk is and accept the fact what can be insured and what can't be insured, right? And for those things that can't be insured, how do I manage them? How do I potentially mitigate something that I'm not otherwise going to have any protection from? Some of that is tied to, for us, some of it's tied to when owners are providing insurance on a project, we don't have 100% control over what's provided. So we really have to sit back and figure out what is the remaining risk and how do we manage that. I tell my teams and I tell the project teams as well, the insurance policy is not an open checkbook. There's a lot of risk that comes and penalties that come that are associated with utilizing your insurance policy as a checkbook per se. But I think that you just have to have a really good understanding of what is or is not going to be protected by that insurance policy. And then I think for my team, I educate them and communicate with them a lot. You need to make yourself a part of that project team and you make yourself a part of the project team, you read those subcontracts, you read those exhibits that are explaining the scope. If there's anything in the scope that you don't understand, we have, just as we like to educate our teams, our teams like to educate us. And it's a great opportunity to spend time with the project team and really get a good understanding of what the work is and how it's being performed. And I think by doing that, then they themselves can sit back and have a much better grasp around, okay, now do I need to be concerned with the insurance the sub's providing? And if I don't, okay, I move on. If I do, what do I need to do to add that extra layer in? And then how do I communicate the subcontractor what the concerns are and why maybe he needs to be thinking differently about what he has for protection for himself? So one thing that I've noticed is that if I've talked to someone that's been in risk management for in the realm of 10 years or more, there was a lot of focus, it seems like, in the past on internal team building out construction companies with your own resources. Somehow, something's shifted and it's become more and more common to have really strong relationships with subcontractors that you use on projects. And now risk management has always been, but is even more critical to third-party contractor management especially in construction. What have you experienced shift in that in the approach to risk management as it relates to subcontractors and looking at them as part of the extension of your team? So one of the big differences, and I've seen it shift a lot even within our company in the time that I've been here, but we don't, yes, they're subcontractors, but we really refer to them as our trade partners. Because at the end of the day, we're managing the project we're managing the budget, we're managing the schedule. We're not putting that work in place. That's the trade partner that's doing that. And we respect and understand that what they bring to the project, right? They bring their skill and they bring their knowledge. And it's really important. I think both the project teams have probably shifted a bit in how they work with the trade partners It's much more collaborative. You've got things such as BIM and Lean and so forth, where it's it's much more of a collaborative effort on how that schedule gets built. And instead of us building the schedule and saying, hey, Mr. Trade Partner, this is what you need to do, it becomes much more of a team. 
And I would say the same thing goes with dealing with our trade partners when it comes to their subcontracts and their insurance. When I talk with the subcontractors, especially when we're in a situation where maybe we have challenges with their insurance, I want to make it very clear to them, I am there to help them. I am not there to be punitive. I personally get concerned at times that I don't think, especially the smaller subcontractors, don't necessarily have the same resources out there to really understand what is that contract obligating them to. And they may ask me, well, my subcontract's very small, so can I lower my limits? Can I offer you less limit? I can do that. I'm happy to do that if it makes sense. But they still have to understand that the subcontract that they've signed, there's language in there that it doesn't matter what I agree to insurance-wise or not. They still have this really big obligation to perform their work. And when they don't have the appropriate insurance, then that goes back to a balance sheet. And and nobody, nobody wants to get into that situation. I don't believe that contractors and subcontractors, it always used to be that everything flows downhill, right? And the subs always believed that everything flowed down onto them, the burden was on their back. So in some sense, that's a true statement, right? But it's a true statement because when you think about risk, risk should sit with the party that is best able to manage it and to control it. So if I'm the plumber, I'm the best party to be able to manage whether or not that work gets put in place correctly and whether or not that work causes damage. So from that perspective, it makes sense that the risk of that flows down. But as a part of that flowing down, it's really important that that trade partner has the appropriate protection because at the end of the day, nobody wants to get into that contractual battle. We want everybody to be able to have the right protection in place and make sure that when and if there's a problem, we've all got the right mechanisms and tools to take care of it that is not going to put anybody into a financial bankruptcy or into a very bad financial position because they didn't have the appropriate protections in place. Yeah, nobody wins in that scenario, even if you think that you've transferred the risk. It's a short-term way of looking at a long-term problem, right? It is. When we talk about these challenges with subcontractors and they fail to meet their contract requirements or they fail to provide accurate insurance to be compliant and you're making these judgment calls, what are some of the key points that you would institute into any risk management program? It sounds like education to your subcontractors is a big part of that. But what other areas do you think are critical to manage that program? So I think it's important, obviously, to stay on top of what's going on in the industry, right? It's really important to know what's available, what's not. Because some of the challenges for the subcontractors is the fact They don't have the same buying power that the general contractor does, or even sometimes within that subcontractor world that the larger subcontractor has. They just don't have the ability to go out and purchase everything with all of the bells and whistles. So it's really important to make sure that, one, that they're making sure they're not taking on any risk that they're not prepared to take on. I think a good example of that would be design build or design assist. Subcontractors get 
they'll take into their contract the responsibility for some design. And in their mind, they're just going to go hire an architect, an engineer. He's going to stamp those plans. And as far as they're concerned, they've passed that design off to somebody else. But the problem is they didn't really because they have a contract with the general contractor. And within that contract, they have a design obligation. So many of them don't believe, because they're not a designer, they don't believe they have a responsibility for, say, professional liability insurance, forgetting that if something goes wrong, the general contractor is coming to them for that design issue. They may be able to go to their lower tier, maybe not, but they do have an obligation there. And I do think that we're seeing the courts look at, sometimes look at, subcontractors and general contractors a little differently. They start to apply a sense of professionalism to them that I think historically wasn't seen that way. It The judge can look down... The accountability that didn't exist before. Exactly. Exactly. The belief that, well, I'm not a licensed professional doesn't get you out of it anymore. Because you took a professional requirement on. Exactly. Thus, you're saying, I'm going to hold myself to the same standard as... That's really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Or you'll sometimes find somebody who at one point was an engineer. So he's gone away from actually doing engineering, but he owns his own contracting company. He dabbles a bit in engineering, like because he knows, like he knows how to do it. So he'll find himself maybe fixing something here and there on the job. And if he's not carrying professional liability, he's going to be held to that same obligation that licensed engineer would because he's done the work of a licensed engineer, even though it wasn't really his role. I think it's just really important for them to really be evaluating what am I doing and what have I agreed to in this contract? And I think that the biggest challenge for subcontractors, I believe, is having the right resources. I think that there are not necessarily brokers that are focused on those smaller subcontractors. I don't think that there's insurance companies that are totally focused on what those smaller subcontractors need. And I think that there's a lot of maybe, whether it's self-education or just a lot of research to make sure that they're not getting themselves into a bad situation. Right. Does that mean, so you have your general contractors and they have their subcontractors. Does that mean you've seen your role play an even bigger part of that subcontractor relationship, even down past that, where you have to manage now like a third level hierarchy down into someone that you didn't even select for the construction position? Is, is that a growing normality in the field? I think so to some extent, especially when you get into a world where your general contractor that has a contractor controlled insurance program, right? So now all of a sudden, we're providing the insurance for everybody on the job. It causes you to really have to look much more closely at who is the prime sub that we've hired and who is he hired and start working all the way down that chain and what's their scope of work? What is is the insurance that they carry? Is this somebody that we're comfortable with insuring? Is it somebody that has insurance that we maybe feel comfortable relying upon and we don't include them in our program? But it definitely gets you to a point where you're looking 
top to bottom. You really have to see the subs at all levels and understand the relationships between all of them. Because as you go down the chain, you're going down eventually to getting to the guy in a truck, right? So you're working your way all the way down the chain. And that guy in the truck probably does really great work, but the likelihood that he has the appropriate protection for what he's doing, or even has some full sense of the contract he's signing, if he's signing a contract, because we also find that as it goes down. Or where those lines even exist, right? There may not even be a contract as you flow further down. Yeah. So this is a common thing that keeps coming up as I'm talking more and more about the need for technology, the need to have transparent views, sort of, I don't know if you want to call it globalization, but the accountability being more apparent in every kind of job and construction as construction goes. If you had to forecast the future of the industry, where do you see technology really supporting you and risk managers in the future? So I think there's a lot of areas where technology has grown and probably will continue to grow, right? So we see a lot of technology in the field and great benefit from some of it. And some is is obviously still being tested and piloted, but it has definite resources. For example, there's some technology with robotics utilizing a dog. And it's a dog robot that wears a camera. And you can send that robot throughout the entire job and he can do a kind of a 360, a camera visualization of that, of all of that work. There's various benefits to risk management for the photographs, right? And and the film that the video that they can get from that, whether it's trying to figure out what happened the night before, trying to figure out if something wasn't put in place correctly. And to that point of, of hopefully catching it before it becomes an issue. There's technology for water intrusion, and that's actually evolved through the years. It used to be, it was just an alarm that went off. It was an alarm that would go off in the middle of the night to let you know that there was water leaking, right? But nobody's on the job. So that's not that helpful. It's now evolved to the point where that alarm can alarm. It can also turn the water off. Like that's another benefit, right? So and for us in risk, that's one less water damage claim that we have to deal with, or at least a much smaller water damage claim. But then even within our group and what we do on a day-to-day basis, we review, collect and review thousands, probably 5,000 certificates of insurance a year, at least. And having systems that take that and make it a much more efficient process because we have a much larger team than many companies out there do. And it's always hard within a construction firm that you got to justify your risk management group, right? So you really want to make sure that not only can you be efficient, but I also understand that my team doesn't want to just sit and look at certificates of insurance all day. So the goal is to get a system that is really efficient so that I can now challenge them to learn something more and to really kind of grow. And that becomes, it's still a part of their job, but it's a much more efficient part of their job so that they have more time to learn and more time to understand what I do and maybe do understand, spend more time on the job sites, walking the job sites, understanding how those buildings are being built just to make them more effective team members. 
Yeah, and to use that information to bring insights in so that you know what's real. Like you, everyone knows what their contract requirements are, but you sometimes don't get to do the analysis of what happened in the last six months to compared to our contracts, compared to the COIs we collected, and all of this sort of downstream strategic work that can really, I think, uplift what a program can do for a business. Or even some, like I discussed earlier, we sometimes issue waivers to subcontractors, right? To really be able to have a system that will tell you how many waivers did you issue in a year? Why did you issue these waivers? And if you were consistently issuing waivers for certain subcontractors, do we maybe need to take a look at the use of those subcontractors and or maybe where we're using them, maybe being more cognizant of that? The other piece that's really challenging is figuring out what's an appropriate workload for an individual. And so to be able to have a system that as a manager, you can really see instead of somebody's perceived workload or perceived capacity, you really have the ability to look at their projects and figure out what does that workload really look like? Because it's not, you can't just say this project is a hundred million. So it's going to require X amount of time. It just doesn't work that way, especially depending on how it's insured, what they're building and who the subcontractors are that are involved. So I think that I see technology going forward as just its efficiency. It's maybe sometimes in the field doing things that are, I want to say, makes it safer. Yeah, de-risk the situation, right? In some ways. Right. Maybe it gets into places where you'd rather not send a human. You could send, send a scope, send a piece of technology in there instead. I think it's going to be ever growing. I mean, I literally saw someone in our office. He had used a 3D printer. And he was literally printing these huge pipes. He told me, he said, I could print a whole building. I could build a whole building. It wouldn't be very cost effective, but you could do it, right? And so there's a lot of contractors looking more and more at how can I incorporate some of this in so that it's pre-manufactured, it's coming out of a facility, the QAQC has already been done, it just comes in comes onto the site and gets put into the work. And again, long-term, from an insurance perspective, especially, are you now avoiding some of the risk of that construction defect because it's been built in a very contained environment? Yeah. And it's been built the same every time. Handled by fewer people, handled by fewer processes, handled by more straight to the source where if there's a failure, you can trace it back easily as well. And it still goes back to leaving humans to be doing what the humans should be doing, right? Which is using their brains and thinking and creating, but relying on the technology to just perfect that. Yeah. One thing that I always like to ask at the end of this, because I think it's critical to the nature of this podcast, which is what's a piece of feedback or advice that you've been given in your career that you think has allowed you to get as far in the industry as you have and to really be the leader that you are? So I was always told... So somebody made a comment to me one time that when preparation and opportunity come together, good things happen, right? It was probably more in-depth than that, but it was it's kind of as simple a statement as that. And what it really was saying is, you're going to get to that job eventually, but there's a lot of time and effort that you put into self-development 
I don't think that you can rely on someone else to provide all of your guidance, all of your development. There's a lot of self-learning that goes on. Some of it comes from the internet. Some of it comes from, I just want to know what this insurance policy says. So I'm going to pull the insurance policy out and read it. I'm going to ask questions. And many times I'm going to do that next job before I have the title. I'm not going to be as focused on what my title is. I want to know what my boss does. So can I help you? Can I learn from what you're doing? Can I try that and do it? In my mind, you're doing it with a safety net before you really have to be that person that's wholly responsible for it, right? Learn in that safe environment and just show a willingness to want to grow and to want to understand. I joke that a lot of us that have gotten to this point, we're insurance geeks. I enjoy reading an insurance policy. Most people don't. (laughs) I enjoy the claims piece. And so a lot of it is just you have to have a little bit of that, the curiosity, the interest level. But mostly I would say do the job before you have the job, right? Like just ask for something more and ask to learn more. And I think that I never in my career have been one to ask for promotions raises. I never felt like I needed to because I always felt like if I just did my job plus some, like I just constantly was learning, that I would grow. I can say confidently that that's worked. And I think in with my team, that's what I encourage them to do is just learn everything you can and be a sponge. I love that advice because it's the progress pendulum, right? So if preparation and opportunity meet, you're always moving to the right, regardless of what is happening within that job or that wherever you're at, you're going to keep getting better at it. So then your normal is a higher level of operational function than it was previously. And I think the advice that I really love there is to take... I manage so many people in my career and I say like, you can't rely on your job or your boss to manage your professional development as much as you have to allow your curiosity and your passion to really manage your professional development. And I've never been in a position where a boss has ever not appreciated that. People say, oh, well, my boss doesn't like me to go out without my skis. It's like, well, probably because you're not doing the preparation part. I think that would be the clue that I would get there if someone's like, you're not ready for this. You're not really preparing for it. You're not really thinking through it. You're just being opportunistic. I do think that there are opportunities now that didn't exist. Right within the risk world, there's a lot of risk insurance, however you want to define it. I think that the picture is much bigger. When I was coming up in the industry, you were either an underwriter or an underwriting assistant, or you were a broker, or you were a risk manager. But now you can look bigger picture, right? There's the consultants, there's the technology world, there's an environment that people probably never thought existed. You could go work for a technology company and bring your knowledge of whether it's reviewing certificates, whatever. You bring a certain level of knowledge that is valuable to industries that you probably never even thought about. It can touch just about anything. So it's exciting because it's a wide open, wide open opportunity, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that there's more and more people realizing that risk management, risk as a category can be a value differentiator in a business if done correctly. It can both open doors and protect 
at the same exact time. And it's what makes building technology in this space for myself super fascinating is that I feel like I'm actually impacting things that used to take so much time and so much energy. And now people are getting to redeploy that energy and that intelligence in unique and interesting ways. And it feels good to know you're protecting somebody, right? In some sense, what we do, we're protecting something or protecting, as we say, we're protecting the enterprise. It feels good. It feels good. I remember one of the most exciting things when I first started working in InsurTechs, I walked past a job site and no one was there. And people always have that joke of, well, where are these guys at? And then for to actually know, well, what causes a job site to be shut down? And how could that be mitigated? Because that's nobody's ideal outcome, right? That no one's working on it. It's just a fascinating thing that so much of our world is still being built physically. And all this technology that we have at our fingertips are tools in order for us to continue to build our civilization is, I think, a powerful thing. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, thank you for your time. And I will look forward to seeing you at a conference soon. Exactly. And I appreciate you being on Brick by Brick. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invite and I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us. Head over to TrustLayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.